The Change Officer Podcast's Future of Financial Services series is brought to you by Holly Wally, the world's first wallet-as-a-service platform. Stay tuned to find out how Holly Wally can help you build your mobile wallet to increase revenue and reduce time to market. When you talk about you know embedded finance and those types of services, ultimately the realization, and we're quite clear this is happening and will continue to happen, is there are new marketplaces, there are new ecosystems that are gaining prevalence and, and strength, whether it's ride sharing or Kareem, Uber, creating their own uh, infrastructures and then adding payment services within that. I think the reality is as a bank, you ask yourself, am I going to participate in that market and on what terms? Welcome to the Change Officer Podcast's Future of Financial Services series. In this series, we are deep diving into some of the hottest and most pivotal topics in the financial services industry right now, including personalization in financial services, embedded finance, and the mobile payment revolution. Join us as we seek the answers to critical questions such as what does the future hold for the financial services sector and where should we look for the next big disruptive idea. Welcome back to another episode of The Change Officer, special series, Future of Financial Services. And this time, I have a pleasure to host Tristan, Chief Digital Officer of RugBank. Hi, Vuk. How are you? Good. Good to have you here. Um, I've been looking forward to our chat. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, there's a lot happening in this space. It's very active and uh, I'd like to try and provide some clarity yeah uh, if i can i'm gonna put a challenge out uh, we have 15 to 20 minutes to uh, sure. to summarize a couple of opinions so i'm going to keep it relatively uh, focused as much as that can be so skipping the chit chat we're going to move that to uh, our standard the change officer main track episode perhaps um i want to talk about obviously banking sector you've been involved in the sector for for quite a while while um in this market but but internationally as well um, obviously, what happened over the couple previous couple of years, especially previous two years, um, fast tracked completely the digital behavior and complete customer experience, their expectations, etc. We've seen, uh, you know, a new cohort of customers using digital payments, um, you know, uh, contactless mobile payments, QR code payments, uh, uh, um, mushrooming of these pay at the table uh, solutions, etc. However, you know, the death of cash um, was again exaggerated. Uh, we are from, far from, from, from that. Uh, so although some of the worst sort of pandemic forecasts haven't materialized, um, banks continue to face long-term revenue pressure, right? Um, and tighter competition. There is a lot of digital banks coming in the scene, challenging, you know, traditional banking sector, which is putting a lot of pressure. However, things are not as they uh, seem always, you know, the the loud ones uh, doesn't necessarily uh, lead the race. So I would like to hear from you. What's your take on the current state of, of this industry, the change uh, that is taking place? So I think you did an interesting thing there where you started and looking at where disruption or entry has happened most in the market and payments is clearly the uh, standout. 
area of interest where we've seen new providers. Uh, why? The answer is quite straightforward, right? It's, uh, <clears throat> it's a volume business. There's a margin that uh, new competitors can look to gain access to. And there are services that have been improved uh, through payment offerings. So that's, um, <clears throat> that's been uh, highly profiled and it's got a lot of attention. Um, overall, clearly, yes, uh, the pandemic has been a strong accelerator of digitization and uh, naturally as access to physical location and other um, means of exchange became less uh, relevant, then digital became the natural uh, alternative. Uh, I'd say overall, many of the banks have been progressing down this uh, step of creating a digital channel and ultimately going to what's called a digital first strategy, where the the preference is that the customers, and in fairness for most customers, it's a better service, right? That you can do what you need to, whether it's on an app or whether it's online. Um, So that that, uh, progress has been, I'd say, consistent um, across the market uh, so that for the most part, you know, the majority of uh, retail customers and more so also the SMEs are starting to be using digital as their first uh, port of call. And that's matured well. What is still reasonably um, simplistic is the way in which that service is provided and the way in which um, data is used to help uh, customers make better decisions understand their own behaviors um, and gain value from that. So I'd say that in the region still, we've got quite a, um, a good level of coverage at the basic level of service. Mm. Um, and uh, what tends to happen is that we still find that under kind of edge cases or where things are complicated, where it's not the happy path, things don't work so well. Yeah. Um, and therefore you still need multiple channels. So I'd say, you know, uh, on a global competitive basis, we've got reasonably good um, digital banking services across the sector. Yes, cash is reducing, um, and I th- expect that that will continue, and services will, will fill the gap. Yeah. Um, but I think you were kind of hinting at a, a follow-on question about, you know, where are these compet- competitors going to be a few years from now, and how viable are some of those businesses, which... Maybe that's uh, maybe that's something we can discuss also. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting topic because um, you know neo banks, digital banks that are that are coming to the market with a certain with, with certain value propositions that are very appealing for the customers um, doesn't or it's a question whether the underlying sort of you know infrastructure can deliver something like that, etc. And that's a topic uh, of its own, but it is pushing traditional banks to move faster right and you know to relook the strategy and 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 the next couple of steps and i think overall it's a good thing whether you know these banks will eventually succeed or not they they, they are sort of pushing the the market a lot of other things are happening as well there's a lot of discussion on open banking yes there's a lot of a discussion on embedded finance yes topics of this kind and then um you know as you said digital delivery of the existing services is one step of improvement there is but there is all this whole bigger spectrum of new opportunities for the sector overlapping with other industries as well if you look at this whole picture um, where do you see the biggest opportunities going forward uh, for the banks that are going beyond just digitalizing the delivery of the existing services 
So um, when you talk about, you know, embedded finance and those types of services, ultimately the realization, and we're quite clear this is happening and will continue to happen, is there are new marketplaces, there are new ecosystems that are gaining, uh, you know, prevalence and, and strength, whether it's ride sharing or, uh, you know, <coughs> Kareem, Uber, creating their own uh, infrastructures and then adding payment services within that. I think <coughs> the reality is as a bank, you ask yourself, am I going to participate in that market and on what terms? And, the re- and obviously, if you own and orchestrate that marketplace, your objective is to extract the maximum rent. Uh, so for a bank, it's always complicated because uh, yes, you might get uh, additional flow, but at what cost? Um, so banks are still, I think, feeling out where to play in that space. And uh, we ourselves at RackBank are looking at that. And uh, we see certain opportunities, but it's early days, uh, particularly in this geography. Um, <clears throat> I'd say that, um, you know, overall, um, the the real differentiator that banks have is that we are trusted we have history, we're highly regulated, um, <clears throat> and entrants usually see that as impediments and problems and things that they wish they didn't have to do. Um, what, I'd see, what I see today is that if you really think about the data that a bank has and what it means in terms of uh, knowing you, knowing your spending patterns, uh, being able to assist in making better informed decisions about opportunities, maybe around key life events, making more, uh, you know, uh, there is a a concept that I haven't really yet seen executed. I believe that it's been done a bit in the US with uh, Bank of America. Uh, But the ability to actually give you personalized service at scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think the big opportunity for the banks is to is to look to differentiate in that, use that information to start to create a highly relevant and personalized experiences. Mm-hmm. And this has been talked about for, for a very long time, right? Yeah. So it's clearly not easy to execute on. Yeah. But I think that is going to be the next stage. And, and um, arguably the new entrants mm-hmm. are in a strong position to, to, to try and prove that value proposition. It's very interesting, actually, uh, and we haven't covered this sort of in the series so far. Can you unpack this uh, concept a bit more for for us, and let's just deep dive a bit under, look so, under the hood? So, so look, uh, ultimately, uh, for most of us, and um, banking is a highly commoditized industry, right? It, it's basically a utility service that's provided by a host of different uh, private organizations. Um, it's highly regulated. The you know, product doesn't evolve very much for the most part. Um, what you do know if you start to study it is that um, customer needs have a certain uh, set of triggers and um, uh, reasons why they occur. So, mm-hmm. for example, you need a personal loan because you're deciding that you want to do some renovations on a house or you want to go and study. There's always a trigger to a financial need. Um, sure. How do How does it become possible to know that that trigger is going to happen and how does that then allow a more informed conversation at scale in a world where the uh, human interaction touch points are reducing right nice um so that process of starting to profile individuals uh intelligently so that you can engage in a proactive discussion that's what will make the difference in a highly commoditized industry where the alternative is 
you know, it, it's a price war. It's about uh, throwing money on the table to attract customers. Um, can I uh, can I just be smarter? Mm-hmm. Uh, and can I use the information that's actually there to you know, interpret what does that mean? You know, what's what's uh, looking for at this point in his uh, growth of his business? Arguably, the answer is that could be done. Uh, but then that means banks starting to think in the way that technology companies do, uh, which is not natural. Yeah. What do you think is the single biggest blocker of that happening tomorrow? Well, that's a great question. And I've thought about that. Um, what I see is that the way the organizations, the established incumbent organizations are set up, there isn't really somebody who um, in most banks is responsible for the customer relationship, right? You've got somebody who's responsible for the credit card business. Uh, you've got somebody who's responsible for selling current accounts or savings accounts. You've got somebody who's responsible for personal loans. You've got somebody who's responsible for mortgages, if we're sticking to the retail business. And and they're all individual, right? And therefore, the concept of, um, okay, how do we use data to manage a relationship and the lifetime value of that relationship with an individual, that only really happens in the higher value affluent segments where there's enough revenue potential there. So when you take it down to the more mass market or um, you know common customer, it just doesn't that's just not the way the incentives and the individuals are lined up. So it's a it's a huge you know it's a massive mind shift mm-hmm. to say okay right now we're going to invest in creating or curating the key value we have other than the transaction flow which is we understand this relationship we've got the data we know how to make that something much more valuable um, and it's just a skill set that just historically hasn't been there. Hey everyone, sorry for jumping in. We'll be back with the rest of the conversation shortly, but I wanted to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, Holly Wally. Within the next two years, 4 billion people will be using digital wallets and the global mobile payments market size is expected to hit US $5.5 billion by 2024. It's more important than ever for financial service providers to offer a digital wallet service to their customers. Enter Hollywally, the world's first wallet as a service platform that allows any financial service provider to build their own digital wallet as efficiently and cost effectively as possible. Whether you're a fintech, retailer, banking institution, or insurance carrier, Hollywally has all the elements you need to build your own company's ideal digital wallet in a matter of minutes and manage it on an ongoing basis. To find out how Hollywally can increase your customer engagement and revenue or to register for a demo, visit hollywally.com. The link can be found in the show notes of this episode. And now enjoy the rest of this conversation. What would you say? And this is this cannot be a universal question. There are you know different sizes of banks, etc. But what is the faster way to reaching the point of delivery this delivering this sort of customized, personalized experience for customers? Um, but not only that, but taking the advantage of the data. Is it by building this internally or co- completely opening up your APIs and data sets to external fintech players and other players to take the advantage of that data and do it sort of instead of you, but still kind of driving the growth of the bank itself? That's a, another very good question. So I think, firstly, you have to know what the answer is, right? And the answer is 
that you need to be able to define a profile for um, you know different cohorts, different um, customer types, and understand how that would then get used. And just a, a short segue, right? I used to run a mobile operator. And it was a pay-as-you-go SIM card. Uh, so we didn't know a lot. In the UK, you didn't have to provide identity. We gave all the data to a company that did segmentation for SMC, uh, FMCG brands. Uh, and then six weeks later, they come back. They say, hey, look, in 48 hours, we can give you a 97% confidence that we can pre-profile uh, into 12 different usage segments. And the first answer was like, hey, that's great. But then the reality was, hey, that's useless because we didn't have a way to communicate to 12 segments. Mm -hmm. um, and so despite, and it took three years to get to the point where we were able to then use that information to tailor our messaging. So I think first it starts with, could you use the data in the way you interact within the operating model that you have now? Uh, and that's probably the more complex, you know, rewiring activity. Then the, okay, is there somebody out there who could do a smarter job of manipulating and uh, curating the data? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that would be a very rich uh, opportunity for partnership. And I was just speaking with the chief innovation officer at MasterCard about this yesterday evening. Um, and, and I think there's, you know, that's the space uh, where there will be a need to look at bringing together data sets that don't only exist within the bank uh, and the analytical and, um, you know, and capabilities to then make sense of it. Mm. Obviously, there are ups and downs in the pace in which every industry, but specifically this industry is transforming. Uh, and this industry has been transforming very rapidly. But it is loud at the same time. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, uh, undoubtedly it's going to happen fast. Like tr transformation is happening fast and year by year we're just accelerating. How fast do banks need to pivot and reboot their strategies in order to stay relevant? There is, a, I think this is also sort of a clickbait, you know. Oh, you need to transform. You're either going to do a digital, you're going to die, etc. And stuff like that. You know, I am personally not buying into that because I understand how business <laughs> works. But 99% of people don't. Uh, and they do buy into this messaging, but there is something underneath. It's not completely uh, uh, false. So I, I think um, the positive of the investment uh, flow that went into fintech is what you mentioned at the beginning, right? It has been an accelerator of value improvement and value creation, often for uh, end users. The negative is that a lot of those business models make no sense whatsoever, right? And they will not be viable and they're not viable today and they're not viable in an uh, environment where you don't have basically free capital uh, and interest rates go up and all of a sudden you ask yourself, okay, is this going to pay back? Um, so I think, you know, the, the process of um, deciding where and how to create, um, you know, the the next version the enhancements the reality is the banks are the incumbents right they're going to be here um what you find is that in practice there are um there's a lot of complexity um complying with regulation there's a lot of uh actual value in making sure that those checks and balances are in place and 
often the entrants haven't done that correctly. So I don't think that banks are going to go away. Um, as uh, I think it was uh, our friend Arjun was saying the other day, you know, um, people don't want banks, they want banking. I don't know if that's necessarily true, right? Uh, ultimately, what you want to know is my money somewhere that I can rely on, that institution's going to be uh, reliable. If I've got a problem, they'll be able to help me out. And guess what, you know, most of us still need to get paid and we need to make payments and you need to know, okay, what's my balance that's left in the, uh, uh, behind that. So I think that it's, uh, it's kind of self-serving jargon when people say banks are going to go away. Um, yeah. and I don't expect that. Yeah, no, I, I believe obviously they're not going away. I think, you know, on the surface, 99% of people are interacting with the bank with its most, most, most basic and least profitable product. That's which is spot on. Just a bank account. Yeah. While this 1% are, are dealing with other products that are difficult to deliver if you're not a bank. Right. And uh, a lot of players coming into the game, uh, you know, so-called neobanks, you know, mobile payments, digital payments, etc., are getting close to perhaps solving uh, the the problem for the 99% that right. are still unbanked, underbanked in most of the parts of the world. While this 1% where the real business is, is still relatively uh, far away. Now, I guess things do need to change and your position as a bank can drop unless you uh, act, right? And, and, and sort of change. Yeah, look, um, I think that's uh, your, uh, there's a implicit question within that which is look where is banking not serving the customer right and um what i find is um i, I use this analogy which uh is the way i look at what most have happens in banking today which is you're asked to go driving in a car at night with only a rear view mirror because the information you get is just about what's happened right mm -hmm. there's no turn on the headlights show me where i'm going um so i think at one level most banks look can you get your can you get paid can you have your balance can you make payments the reality is that works pretty well um what is not great is when you say okay well help me to understand what's going on you know help me become financially literate and help me to make better uh choices that's not covered i don't think that's not yeah. being in the service offering um, and then what I've also found is, as you say, not whether it's the 1% or the more sophisticated transactions, the system can fall apart pretty quickly uh, in terms of just becoming massively complex. Um, I had to request a payment from the UK uh, recently for uh, to, to send money back here. And my bank in the UK said, could you come into a branch? I was like, uh, yeah, I'm in Dubai. And they're like, yeah. N uh, and then they said, okay, you can send us the instruction. I said, okay, yeah, it's a digital world. Send it by fax. <laughs> so that's the point at which I got in my DeLorean and uh, got in a time machine and found a fax. I, I'm, I'm sure plenty of people who are currently listening are <laughs> empathizing with you because they're all going through yeah. very similar uh, uh, scenarios. Um, and uh, all right, to wrap up, um, I know that you have a, a, you know, a bit of entrepreneurial spirit uh, within mm. you. Uh, you're currently working with a bank, um, uh, but if you would have another eight hours in your day or more, uh, entrepreneurs know that eight hours is just not enough. But if you have a parallel life, 
um, and you would decide to go for, uh, for, for a new business, a big massive opportunity. Uh, or not, or not, it depends on you. But where would you look or what is the problem that you would try to solve which is this, you know, million dollar uh, problem or a billion dollar company worth, uh, you know, solving? Where would you look at? Do you have anything uh, that comes to your mind? Yeah, I think, look, continuing on the theme of data and um, the digitization of the world, uh, what it's been a concept which I think is becoming viable just now, which is what about creating your digital self not a digital twin but you know the identity information that's important about you that would then enable you as an individual to have an agent go and do things for you in the market Um, in the UK we've got a lot of price comparison websites and uh, that means that you go there and you basically try and optimize your best purchase in the market but that's a that's a uh, a buyer going to a marketplace what about if creating a, a, a service where you choose to um, provide the right level of information so an agent can now go and shop, can now go and you know, scan the market, can do things? I think that has viability. That could be a really powerful system where you'd say, right, you know, I've basically got a professional shopper for me who does the, you know, and when they make selections, I know that they're, uh, they're going to fit and work. Uh, for me, and I also know that the the price has been optimized by being able to scan the market effectively. Hmm. And does something of that kind of exist around the world at this stage? It's still early stages uh, as a concept, um, and it's quite complex because we think about the level of data disclosure and um, you know who confidence in and trust around that. Um, <clears throat> but it's it, it's been discussed for some time mm-hmm. um, as a potential next stage in evolution of how you know commerce would take place and how the individual becomes more you know, how does your data become your asset very interesting Tristan thanks for taking the time um, mm-hmm. thank you so your, much sharing your wisdom with us uh, and predictions <laughs> um, look I, I, I hope to I hope that we're going to stick around uh, long enough in the industry to to see how things will develop because it's going to be, I assume it's going to be very interesting sitting in you know 2035 and reflecting back on 2022, thinking about everything that was said um, uh, these l- days. Listen, uh, it just won't be the same. I can't believe it'll still be the same. Uh, the power of technology and data and services to become predictive and, and personalized um, that that will eventually start to be the norm yeah hopefully it's not going to be like with flying cars i think we've got that on the roadmap here don't we <laughs> for a while now yeah yeah tristan thanks again thanks it again. was a pleasure cheers